pushes back in victory lane, and this is the money stop alongside Cole Cusimano. My name is Steven, and well, it was a pretty good race at Kansas, Cole, and you were there to see it. And really, it was a tale of two Kyles. Kyle Busch, of course, won the race. We talked about the early season struggles. Would he be back in victory lane soon? The answer was yes. And then Kyle Larson dominated again at a mile and a half track. Couldn't quite close it out, though. So, Cole, overall thoughts on Kansas. Let's start right there. So we'll start with the two Kyles. Um, this is a great start for Kyle Busch. He definitely was not the dominant car all day, but he was about a top three car, and he did Kyle Busch things. He capitalized on mistakes, specifically restarts. Um, he even said post-race his ideal scenario was Truex restarting behind him to give him a shove, and he got just that. And as Larson noted, no one grabbed the lead from the second row on those restarts because clean air is so crucial at these mile-and-a-half tracks. So for Busch to capitalize on the restart prior to that one and maintain his position was just vintage Kyle Busch. And I guess looking at a bigger scope for his season in the 18 team, this should give him more confidence. I don't know if he needed that, being Kyle Busch, but, you know, after going winless for 34 races last season, this, this, this is a big step for them. And, you know, this is a new crew chief in Ben Bayshore, and might I note, this was the fourth win of the season for drivers with new crew chiefs, because you have Ben Bayshore, Rudy Fugel, uh, Cliff Daniels, and, and Adam Stevens. So, great start for Busch. Uh, he's killed it on those mile-and-a-half tracks, but he has a bit of work to do on those 750-horsepower package tracks like Phoenix and Richmond, stuff like that to be on par with Penske and Hendrick, but they're not far off. Um, Truex and Hamlin have been excellent at those tracks, so JGR is definitely in the ballpark. And now, looking at Kyle Larson, once again, absolutely dominated, could not close it out, 132 laps led, that was a race high. There's no doubt about it, Larson is the class of the field by a long shot at these mile-and-a-half tracks. Um, but again, just trouble closing. Like, look at Atlanta, where he got passed by Blaney with under 10 to go after leading all day. Um, he got caught in the second row at Kansas, as mentioned. Hit the wall after pushing Ryan Blaney a bit too hard in that uh, turn two, I believe, and finished uh, fourth at Homestead. Just fell short. Wasn't, you know, a, like a dominant car that day. But um, you could even throw Phoenix in there. He drove up through the field after speeding four times, all those pit penalties, um... And then they did the Daytona road course. He crashed at a second. So he said post race he could have had he could have about five wins right about now, and that's yeah. absolutely true. But it means nothing in the end. That team will figure it out. They'll likely click off five plus wins this year, but it's a matter of when. And they just got to get out of their own way. Yeah, and you said it. It's been a very odd year in terms of the uh, assortment of drivers that have won four with new crew chiefs, and we're now eleven races in with ten different winners and. The two most dominant drivers, I would say by far, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson, have only combined for one win, which is kind of shocking, but it's made for good entertainment. I mean, to see all these different teams clicking off wins and to see how every team in the field has pretty much had a shot at winning on any given Sunday, it's been great. It's been really fun to see. I did want to ask you, though, Cole, this was your first time attending a race at Kansas Speedway, um, and you, you've been to a lot of tracks, Phoenix, Vegas, Auto Club. Uh, several others, where does this rank in the hierarchy of tracks, in your opinion? All right, so I was actually thinking about this um, on the way home. <clears throat> it, it's tough. I, I like Kansas a lot, so I took a bunch of things into consideration. So first off, the track itself was beautiful. I thought it was a great, great-looking track. The staff was really, really nice. It was also a plus that, as I mentioned before, Rodney was there from Phoenix. Oh, man. Um, so that, that was great. I thought that the surrounding areas were also really, really cool. Like, I did not expect 
Kansas City to be like that popping. Like it, it was, it was a really cool area. They had obviously the Hollywood Casino nearby. They had this Legends District where they had a bunch of like stores and Dave and Buster's and restaurants. So it, it's like a booming area. And I, I heard that they're uh, for one of my Uber drivers actually on the way to the airport. They're they're building like another airport extension. They're building a bunch of other hotels and stuff. So it's it's a very like uh, up and coming area, and especially having like the Kansas City Chiefs there and the Royals who are doing good there now, like it's it's going to be good for that that town and that that state. And then as for the racing, so typical ha- uh, mile and a half race in 2021, I thought it was serviceable. Like even mainly under green flag conditions, restarts were awesome and not a whole lot of competition aside from Larson and random contenders throughout, but overall a solid race. I'd still rank this race specifically near the bottom tier of races run. I'd probably put like Atlanta and Richmond and maybe one or two others below it, but not bad at all. But my ranking for this track, I, I no bias. I, I'm putting Phoenix first. I'm putting probably Vegas second if the Neon Garage is open. And then it's kind of a toss-up because I feel like, and this is going to sound weird, but I feel like Talladega and Kansas were very comparable in terms of like what they had to offer at the track. Um, but they're, I guess, given the surrounding areas and being able to see the entire track, I'd probably put Kansas above Talladega. And then you have like um, Auto Club at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and we're not talking about necessarily the on-race product because obviously if that were the case, Talladega would be right up there at first. But it, it, I guess you're really just talking about, like you said, the surrounding environments combined with the racing, combined with the amenities and, and all the other hospitality, things that go along with that. So Yeah, and it was, it was a nice track. I liked it a lot. And I, I was definitely not expecting that glowing of a review, so it, it's good to hear that, and that's definitely a track that I personally would love to get out to. Speaking on mile-and-a-half tracks in general, though, I would say, to be honest with you, you know, it's kind of been looked at in NASCAR the past decade or so that mile-and-a-half tracks, intermediate tracks, are kind of the snooze fests of NASCAR, but realistically... I would say this is probably one of the better years for mile and a half tracks uh, that I could think of in recent memory. Would you agree? Um. Yes. Yes. I, I. I would say so. I just feel like it's fairly compact racing in the opening two stages, and in this time you'll see like new leaders or guys running down the leader. Restarts are always going to be crazy, three, four, even five wide racing at times, and that's obviously awesome to see. But there's lots of green flag racing. And as mentioned, in those opening stages, it, like, it kind of works because you don't need to pit until around the end of the stage breaks. And it, the racing is condensed. Um, but <clears throat> once you get pet into that final stage, it's a bit more tedious. But here's the one thing I will say, and I, I never thought I'd be saying this um, if I was you know, first watching NASCAR and I was 12, 13 years old. The green flag racing is not a bad thing at all. Like... Once you get to those green flag pit stops, uh, there's always a chance for intrigue and catastrophe. And that perfect example was the the tire that was parked in the infield for 15 laps. And the pit penalties, there were many uncontrolled tire uh, penalties, which kind of was puzzling. But there's a lot of... Cha- it, it requires a complete execution from the top down. The driver, the crew chief, the guys on pit road... Like, you could say, oh, green flag racing is boring, or you can say whatever, but it requires strategy, or it requires execution, and I think that when you have that kind of racing, and it's, and it's like, you know, it's it's good to watch, it makes for a, a, a more of a, it makes for NASCAR being more of a team sport. 
Absolutely, and it's really, it's the bread and butter track of NASCAR. I mean, you have the super speedways, which are a lot of fun, but more of a wild card. The road course races are a lot more niche-oriented. There's drivers who are not going to do good at those tracks, but intermediate tracks are, it, it's just the, the one that you've got to zone in on. You've got to be good at those mile-and-a-half tracks if you want to be a champion in this sport, irregardless of the fact that they have taken a few of those away this year. Closing the book on Kansas, though, with stacking pennies, which is where we talk about a few drivers who have had several good showings in a row and have been, in the words of Corey Lejoy last year, stacking pennies for themselves. And let's start with Tyler Reddick. He was, again, fast all day. And, you know, we've talked about got off to a slow start this year, but he's kind of rebounded in terms of speed, not really with the finishes, but again, often running in the top five. And he was also, I believe, in our fantasy lineup, which did very well last week mostly top 10 all day, spent a little bit of time in the top five, and you mentioned the late penalty for the uncontrolled tire. Um, he's kind of on a roll, 28th in the standings after Atlanta, but since then, he's jumped 10 spots and put himself right back into the playoff picture. Uh, and aside from uh, the finishes, the speed has been there for Tyler Reddick as of recently. I think, yeah, him and, I guess, RCR as a whole. I I'm going to jump over real quick to Austin Dillon. He's on a three-race top 10 streak, sits 11th in the standings. Um... Uh, they, they, I think they're hitting their stride now, and like I, I was keeping tabs on Tyler Reddick all day. I just thought he had a really good shot to maybe give Larson kind of a run for his money, um, in the early stages. But, but he was, he, he had a really fast car. Again, he just has a really, really good knack at running these mile and a half tracks against the wall. Um, had a had a really good finish at Homestead, obviously, and and um, yeah, I, I just feel like they're definitely heading in the right direction, and. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler Reddick won a race here pretty soon. And how about another Chevy driver sustaining some good finishes in a row, stacking pennies? Ross Chastain finishes of 17th, 15th, 16th, and 14th over the last four weeks, and he led his first laps as a member of the Cup Series at Talladega, slowly but surely stacking pennies. And speaking on him from for myself real quick, I mean, these kind of intermediate 14th to 17th place finishes... This is sort of what I was expecting out of Ross Chastain for his yeah. rookie year. I wasn't expecting very much more or less than that. So it's been pretty good to see him kind of round into shape here. It's definitely encouraging. Like, I didn't think he was going to break the record books or, or rattle off any wins. But to get these top 15 strung together, um, hopefully they can translate into some top 10s towards the end of the year. But yeah, I think he's he's having a—he was having an abysmal year. But now it's definitely kind of rounding out. And hopefully, uh, yeah, he can cl click off some better finishes here. Closing the book on Kansas in the Cup Series, at least. Again, Kyle Busch first, Kevin Harvick second, Brad Keselowski third, Matt Benedetto another top five and fourth, Chase Elliott rounded out the top five, Martin Truex Jr. sixth, Tyler Reddick again seventh, Chris Buescher, another guy who was in our fantasy lineup, eighth, followed by William Byron and Austin Dillon to round out the top ten. But putting a bow on Kansas, uh, got a touch on the truck race. Kyle Busch ended up winning. Talk about some of the other standout performers there as well. This was a really good race. I think the racing in that series this year has been just tremendous, start to finish. I was very impressed with Haley Deegan. This was the track where she made her truck debut last year. She was making legitimate veteran moves out there. Like, she was taking guys like Matt Crafton three wide through the middle on numerous occasions. Like, it was just really cool to see. Uh, she finished, I believe, 13th, so... She kind of got shuffled back on those those two uh, overtime restarts, but that was awesome to see from her. Bailey Curry. Bailey Curry, he had to start from the rear because he was named the driver of the truck early in the day, 
and he was in the top 10, I believe, by the end of the first stage, and then he finished top 10. He had great speed all day, and he had a shot at the win, actually. Like, I mean, I say that loosely because I feel like it's, it's hard to beat Kyle Busch, but he restarted uh, on the second row uh, on the inside on that final overtime restart, so... Very encouraging to see from him, and he's, honestly, he's been one of the biggest surprises as a whole uh, in the truck series in 2021. Yeah, very impressive, and speaking of impressive, let's move on to the long-awaited segment this week, Nickel or Dime. This is where we rank the paint schemes every single week at every single track, but this week is very, very special because it's throwback week at Darlington, meaning this is probably the best week of paint schemes really all year. And man, just looking at this graphic, which you can find on our social media pages at the underscore money stop, there are some extremely impressive cars this week in every facet, from meaning to just the aesthetic of them. They are so cool looking this week. And just for a little bit of background, this graphic on our social media only has the paint schemes for the Cup Series, but I would say that some of the better paint schemes this week are actually in the lower series, and I say lower meaning Xfinity and Trucks. Um, there are some really, really cool paint schemes all throughout the garage, no matter which series it is this week. But, you know, based on the fact that there are so many impressive ones, we went with a little bit of a different approach this week with our top five paint schemes at Darlington for the Goodyear 400 this weekend. And Cole, I'm going to let you kick it off. All right, so I guess I'll start from the back up. Actually, I'll be honest, I, I don't really know what my bottom four are, but I know what my number one is. So uh, I'll say William Byron's tribute to Neil Bonnet. I feel like every single Darlington throwback weekend, the Valvoline car is always up there for one of my favorites. It From the font just down to the design, it looks just like Neil's car from back in the day. And I just I just love those Valvoline colors. It just looks very clean. Mm-hmm. Um for my other one, I'm going to go with uh, transition over to the Xfinity series. Ty Gibbs is running the Bobby Labonte Interstate Batteries car. And it's kind of cheating in a way because this car, I feel like, has been used at least once before in Throwback Weekend. But seeing it on that Supra and seeing the actual renderings and the uh, the, the, the physical car in the shop on social media, it looks awesome. That green is just so vibrant. And you know me. I love my greens. Um... And then I'm going to cheat again here. I'm a big fan of Chase Elliott's Alan Colwicky tribute um, for the Hooters paint scheme. Again, the font is just like Alan's back in the day. The paint scheme is is to a T what it was, and it just looks very clean. For my second one, I'm going to go with another Alan Colwicky tribute, and that's going to be Corey LaJoy's Xerox car. So this one's really cool to me because it's the same number, the same paint scheme, and the same sponsor that Colwicky ran back in the day. And I feel like you don't get that entirety kind of represented throughout the this field in all three series. So to see the same number, same sponsor, same paint scheme is really, really cool. And the paint scheme in general is really nice. Again, really clean. Starts with the red in the front. It, it kind of transitions to a yellow in the middle. And then it goes into like a blue towards the end. And my number one paint scheme by far, I think I've mentioned it on social media, is Michael Annette's. Uh, Daryl Waltrip Gatorade Tribute Car. This car is unbelievable. It's so simple, but it's it, it just is so cool. Like, and I I gotta say I love seeing Gatorade back as a primary sponsor for this race because I was looking it up. I believe, and don't quote me on this. I I am pretty sure this is the first time Gatorade's been back 
on a car as a primary sponsor since 1980. So for them to come back and be on the car and, and to bring this paint scheme back to life is really, really cool. And I guess to kind of put it all together, the main thing I went with for all these cars I picked was that it was the same sponsor for these, the same sponsor and the same paint scheme for these drivers uh, being attributed uh, back in the day. And I feel like that's kind of hard to find nowadays because you have all the obviously sponsors for each drivers and, and they'll run like the same paint scheme, but a different color scheme because it's not, uh, you know, catered towards the actual sponsor's color. So that's, that was a big reasoning for all five of those cars. And yeah, Michael Lynette's my number one. Yeah. I mean, that is an excellent way of looking at it because one of the great things about throwback weekend is every single one of these paint schemes has such a story behind it. And when it's the same sponsor going back to, in the case of Gatorade, four decades, over four decades now, uh, it just makes it that much more impactful. And, and in the cases of guys like Bubba Wallace, who was running uh, Wendell Scott's old paint scheme in that 23 car this week, uh, there are just so many stories behind every single one of these paint schemes. And I think it's going to make the broadcast on Fox extremely fun to watch this weekend. So um, first of all, I do have a disclaimer. I only picked cup paint schemes because those are the ones that are featured on our social media, but I do have to agree with you that Michael Annette car, uh, the Gatorade, is just phenomenal. I am a huge, huge fan of that paint scheme. That's definitely my favorite one this week, and the common theme with all the cars that I picked really is I, I just like the, the retro-looking paint schemes that still stick up today. Like, you could release these as non-throwback paint schemes right now, and I would still say that they look really cool. So I just went with sort of an aesthetic approach, not as much to do with the story or the sponsor behind it. So without further ado, I picked uh, number five. I like that Alex Bowman teal car just because... I'm a really big Greg Ives fan, uh, so I went with sort of the meaning approach on this one, and I really like that Ally is allowing uh, the 48 team to do this because they weren't as flexible with Jimmy Johnson's paint schemes over the two years that he did race for Ally, but I can see they're definitely loosening up the reins on that, and they're, you know, getting a lot of attention for doing that. I'm a big fan of, of the way that this was revealed, uh, a surprise to Greg Ives, and I just love the way those two colors clash each other. Um, and my number four paint scheme is going to be Eric Jones. I just love the, mm -hmm. again, it's it's not one of those really retro looking cars, but I just love the blue and orange. If there's a blue and orange car, it's going to be in my top five. Number three, a very similar looking paint scheme in terms of the design to Alex Bowman's. I picked that 23 of Bubba Wallace. I love that powder blue and a little bit of, uh, you know, there's the white numbers outlined in orange. I love the way it looks. And speaking on the meaning behind it, again, Wendell Scott's old paint scheme, that is uh, really, really cool to see Bubba Wallace driving for that with everything he stands for and has stood for uh, throughout the past year. Number two, I picked Chase Elliott's. I love that uh, number nine. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because you just did. But again, it's one of those that still sticks up today. If they were to release it as a non-throwback for some reason, it still sticks up and it looks awesome. And very cool that it's the paint scheme that Alan Kowicki beat Bill Elliott in the championship with. Uh, that's something that it, it's pretty cool. I just like to see that uh, kind of an ode to a guy that that was very uh, a great competitor with his father. And then my number one was the 24 of William Byron. I, I think you pretty much hit it on the head. Love the colors. Love the sponsor. I, I just think it's a perfect mix of modern and retro. And that's to say that this paint scheme really, it was ahead of its time. I just love the way that those colors come from the back of the car to the front and the primary color being white, but also the dark blue and how retro the number looks. I am just a huge fan of that 24 car this week. So we had a couple in, in common there, the Hendrick paint schemes looked pretty good. So uh, with that, I, I think we should probably roll into the starting lineup for this race. 
Starting on the poll, it's going to be Brad Keselowski, followed by Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, the winner from last week. Martin Truex Jr. rolls off fourth. William Byron rounds out the top five. Chase Elliott sixth. Denny Hamlin seventh. Matt Benedetto will start eighth. Austin Dillon ninth. And Tyler Reddick tenth. Couple other notable drivers starting deeper in the pack, though. Joey Logano starting 12th, Kyle Larson 14th after that dominant day in Kansas, Ryan Blaney 16th, Alex Bowman 19th, Christopher Bell 21st, Bubba Wallace, his number sake, 23rd, uh, Eric Jones 26th, and Eric Amarola 27th. And so now that we have set the table, let's eat, let's take it to the bank. Uh, three races were run at Darlington in 2020, two of them were won by Kevin Harvick, one by Denny Hamlin, uh, Chase Elliott also ran extremely well there last year along with the Gibbs stable as a whole. So before we get into our picks and our DFS lineup recommendation, Cole, who are some of the drivers to watch this weekend and why? Well, you mentioned it at the top of that. Uh, Kevin Harvick, the two wins and placed third in the other Darlington race in 2020. He's the only driver with three top fives last year there. 201 laps led in a 1.7 average finish in three races at Darlington in 2020. And then you got to take, take a look at the Gibbs stable, obviously. Denny Hamlin had the win. Two top 10s, Martin Truex Jr., two top 10s, and 212 laps led, which was the most of any driver last year at Darlington. He almost won the Southern 500 until he got into Chase Elliott with 12 to go. And then, of course, Kyle Busch, two top 10s. And here's a guy who did drive for Gibbs last year who, okay, I'm going to say this right now, and this is not what you'd expect, but you want to base your lineup around this guy. I firmly believe that, and he's not a guy you would expect. Eric Jones. He had three top 10s last year along with Kevin Harvick. He'll be a long shot to win the race, I feel like, but he has a career average finish of 5.2 through six races there, which is the best among active drivers, and he hasn't placed below eighth at Darlington in his cup career, which blows my mind for it being such a, a difficult track. He has to win there too, obviously. Um, something I, I really was surprised by when doing my research, like Eric Jones is kind of like a master at Darlington at this point in his career. Uh, it, is, it is still pretty early, though. Um, and then I mentioned Chase Elliott. He had 142 laps led and, again, could have won two of those races, actually. There was the one where Kyle Busch spun him out before the rain and the infamous middle finger came out. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, the Truex crash with 13 to go or 12 to go in the Southern 500. And then Kyle Larson. This, honestly, could be his best track that he has not won at yet. 500 laps led in six starts, Jeez, which is ridiculous. And again, it's another not quite mile and a half track, but it's intermediate track, and he's been the class of the field this year there. Some other guys you might want to take a look at, Alex Bowman, Kurt Busch, uh, Joey Logano, Eric Amarola, and Brad Keselowski among drivers with an average finish inside the top 10, and Austin Dillon, an average finish of 11th at Darlington. Well, you know, I got uh, quite a few thoughts, and I think I just want to jump straight into the predictions because... The two guys I'm going to pick this week for my sleeper and my winner, and I do go first this week, are two guys that you just touched on, and to no surprise, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit for my sleeper. I'm definitely picking Eric Jones as my sleeper, Ugh. and and one that could potentially win this race. I mean, you called him a long shot, and that, that is something I do want to harp on for a second, because let's temper our expectations just a little bit, because again, he is racing in... A little bit lesser equipment. Of course, he started his career, uh, for the most part, with Joe Gibbs Racing, now racing for RPM. So I do think we need to maybe temper our expectations just a tiny bit. However, this is not something that I even had to look up. You know, when I think of Darlington, I think of Eric Jones at this point. He's mm. got the win there. And like you said, he has never finished outside of the top eight at this track in the Cup Series 
irregardless of, of how good the equipment is. I mean, that is extremely impressive, like you said, at a track that is known for being so difficult to race at. So this was a no-brainer for me as far as my sleeper goes. There's another guy I had my eye on, and I'm guessing you'll probably take him for your sleeper, which we'll get to in a moment. But for my winner, I'm going to go with Kyle Larson. We mentioned it. He has been just almost unbeatable uh, at these mile and a half tracks while at the same time being beaten but from a competitive standpoint like you said by far and away he's been the best car at these tracks he is really just a ringer at this Darlington track and it's just literally shocking to me that he has not won here yet I could see this being someplace that he wins like the next three or four races here uh, because he is that close to breaking through at this track and, and just thinking about all the wins that have slipped through their grasps so far this year, it just feels like they're due to, to strike here. And he starts 14th. I think that those two guys I just named, Eric Jones and Kyle Larson, are absolute certainties for our DFS lineup recommendation, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, Kyle Larson is the most expensive driver this week, so you might want to think about that. But we'll get into that later. Let's go with your picks now. All right, yeah, so my sleeper was definitely Eric Jones. I wish <laughs> I didn't harp on him that much because maybe it could have swayed your opinion, but whatever. No, it wouldn't have. Uh, okay, cool. Anyway, uh, my sleeper, I'm going to go with a guy who you don't really expect to run well at, at Darlington. I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. He has momentum on his side, back-to-back seven-place finishes. I really think, think that team's getting things pointed in the right direction. And last year, the first Darlington race, he finished seventh, which I remember it being kind of his com uh, coming-out race in 2020. Um, and then aside from that, he finished 13th and 23rd, but I don't want to look into that too much just because NASCAR is very much a momentum driven sport and he's been on a heater lately. I, let's be honest, even at Talladega where he didn't get a top 10 finish, he was great. And the speeds on their side, uh, I think I will go as far as saying starting 10th, Reddick will get a uh, very close to a top five finish. And I think he'll be a contender throughout the day for my winner. I'm going to go with a guy who could have won twice last year. Mm-hmm. In Chase Elliott, I'm going to keep it in the Hendrick stable. I think that the 142 laps led, you can't overlook. And I think they're kind of, you know, maybe heating up. They were in a bit of a slump, maybe a, a bit of a championship haze going into the 2021 season. But this is kind of where Chase Elliott, I feel like, was a force uh, in 2020. Like, this is where I felt like he, mm -hmm. kind of like uh, Tyler Reddick, broke out. And you, you kind of saw him becoming the driver that he is today in, in that championship caliber contender. And, um, you know, I, I think that this is a track where he excels at naturally. And he'll, he'll, he'll be the winner on Sunday. That's a great point. I mean, this, uh, when I think about the return to racing last year at Darlington, I just remember watching those first three or four races and thinking to myself, there is no way Chase Elliott is not going to be the champion at the end of this year. Because that was, like you said, when he established himself, and he was just so dominant at that window of races, uh, and, and that is a great point. He's he's been heating up a little bit. I've been a little bit concerned with with the performance to start this year, but not enough to to say that that's not not a good pick. I mean, I, like you said, he ran excellent there last year, and, and when the the summer heats up, he just gets better. And honestly, I hate to keep relating things back to Jimmy Johnson, but again, that's that's the guy I grew up watching and sort of idolizing growing up. It reminds me so much of the, the years where Jimmy was, you know, winning five championships in a row. He was just on an absolute torching stretch at the end of the chase or the playoffs, whatever you want to call it, winning four races in a row at certain points or, or just being on a total hot stretch in those final 10 races of the season. And then it was like the same narrative every year. It would take him like eight, nine or 10 races to get back to victory lane and people would, or, and I say people, really the media would sort of question it. Like, is Jimmy Johnson 
you know, not not at peak championship form and just thinking about it just feels like such a familiar feeling with Chase Elliott this year. And you just know sort of instinctually that he is going to pick it up at some point And it just feels like it's going to happen very soon. And Tyler Reddick was the other guy that I was oh. kind of expecting you to pick and was sort of my backup sleeper because just think about Darlington, the lady in black, just getting that Darlington stripe. You're going to run the wall. It's a track that profiles well for him as well as Kyle Larson. Uh, it just it, it just makes sense that he would be good at this track. And like you said, very much earlier in the show, I could see him potentially running in the top five and maybe even winning this race. I mean, those two, as far as betting goes, those are two dark horses that really I, I think would be very good bets uh, if you're in Vegas or something looking to put True. put money in, down on on a couple wild cards. I like that a lot. I really do. And you never know what's going to happen at these races. Like, it's such a wild card. Just looking at this year as a whole, again, there has been one repeat winner all year. Darlington is known for being a track where we've seen first-time winners or second-time winners like Eric Jones was when he won at Darlington a couple years ago. You just never know what's going to happen. And I just love having those two drivers in our DFS lineup, which we'll get to right now. But before we get to that, I think we need to pat ourselves on the back a little bit. And if you used our lineup um, for Kansas, somehow we didn't win any money. Well, it depends what <laughs> it depends what contest it was. I think in certain contests, you definitely would have won money because all six of our drivers finished in, what, the top 12? Okay. So here, here's what our lineup consisted of. We had Alex Bowman, Kevin Harvick, William Byron, Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, and Chris Buescher. So you have... Busher, Reddick, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Kevin Harvick, all placing within, within the top nine. And then Alex Bowman placed uh, 18th. He was mm, that's right. in the top 10, I think, on that last restart, and then he kind of got shuffled back. That was the difference maker. If we had picked, and Alex Bowman was expensive last week, if we had picked somebody other than him, like... Chase Elliott. Uh, we were rolling between <laughs> Chase Elliott. Okay, yeah, and, and, we were and, right and there. Here's what I'm going to get at, because... okay. Our lineup compared to the winning lineup was very close. So they had Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, Ross Chastain, Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, and Chris Buescher. So Kyle Busch, Reddick, and Buescher, we hit the money on the, we hit the nail on the head with those guys. Um, and then Ross Chastain placed 14th, Brad placed third, and Kyle Larson placed 19th. So I guess looking at finishing position, we definitely won the battle there. But I guess you got to look at, I guess, laps led, finishing position, right. Kyle and, and stage with, wins, whatever. Kyle Larson with over 100 fantasy points just because he did dominate that race. So that is something that you've got to take into consideration with these, uh, the, you know, the drivers that you're considering in your lineup. And when I look at ours this week, it's going to start with, um, there was a few ways we could have went with this. But I, I honestly, Cole, I feel very good about this lineup. I, I do too. And, and so we'll see how it goes. But our most expensive driver is the one that rolls off fourth, Martin Truex Jr. at 10300 in cap space, followed by Chase Elliott at 9200 Ryan Blaney at 9000 and then three drivers that are really, in my opinion, great values this week. Yep, so we have Eric Jones, as mentioned, obviously valued at 8200 Should be a lock. Then we have Tyler, and, and again, we based our lineup around Eric Jones, which gives you a lot to work with. Uh, Tyler Reddick is valued at 7400 and then rounding out our lineup is Ryan Priest, valued at 5900 And, you know, a couple things, I always like to go through the apprehensions of, of the lineups that we put out every week. Um, Ryan Priest, not a guy that's run well in the past, obviously, at Darlington, but... 
He is an excellent value this week. You look at similar valued drivers, you're looking at guys like Corey LaJoy, Justin Haley, and Ryan Priest is a guy that, he, you know, he's starting 29th. You know, that's an appealing starting position for fantasy purposes. And he has just run well this year. Like, he's having a career year, especially at mile-and-a-half tracks. It's just, you can't deny that J JTG Doherty Racing has done well at these tracks this year. And value-wise... It just feels really good, and Tyler Reddick starting 10th, you know, this is something that, again, obviously you don't want to pick a guy that isn't averaging above where he is starting, and that would be the case here with Tyler Reddick, but it's been a couple weeks in a row now where he has had solid starting position uh, within pretty much the top 15, and he's finished right around there, and I feel pretty confidently, again, talking about what we just spoke about with Tyler Reddick, that he could hang on and and just hang around in the top 10 all day, and maybe something will happen there. And again, Eric Jones was the lock. The guy that we really haven't touched on, though, in this lineup, though, Cole, was Martin Truex Jr., who is one of the most expensive drivers this week, and we picked him with good reason. Without a doubt. I, I Obviously, most laps led at Darlington last season through, the, through three races. Uh, that, that's got to be something you take into account. And I, I just think that it's going to come down to probably Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, and Martin Truex Jr. fighting it out for the win. Um, yeah, and I just think that he's also been a guy who's kind of been overlooked by because of Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin, but he's probably been the third best car all year. So he was a guy that I was kind of looking at for my winner pick, actually. So Martin Truex Jr. should be a guy that you, again, maybe want to base your lineup around. But looking at Ryan Blaney specifically and, and, and Eric Jones, that 16th starting position for Ryan Blaney and 26th for Eric Jones is massive because they're, I mean, they're valued at 9,800 respectively. They're going to finish very close to the top 10 in Ryan Blaney's case. I would say top five, like that. Those are great values, great starting positions for fantasy purposes. Um, this looks like a money lineup to me, to be yeah, honest. And honestly, I, this feels almost too good to be true, like to a point where it's suspicious and Part of me just feels like this lineup is randomly going to tank just because it, I feel that confident in it. But, you know, we'll see. Last week we were confident and, and our drivers did extremely well. So we'll see how it goes. I cannot wait to see these cars on track. Throwback week. It's always, you know, any race at Darlington. It's always one of the best weekends of the NASCAR season. Cannot wait to see all these cars. And so many great things to look forward to. But let's also look backwards in the rear view. Uh, we like to end these some of these podcasts with memories. So, Cole, what is your favorite Darlington memory? Okay, so I have two in mind. And the one that I'm thinking of right now, I'm pretty sure you're going to pick, so I'm not going to say it. Mm. Um, and I'm sure you're going to say it, so if you don't, I'll mention it. But um, I'm going to go with Regan Smith's win at Darlington. It's an underrated I think one. that was a really good one. Like, you always root for the underdog, and to see him win... Uh, for Furniture Row Racing and beat out Carl Edwards, who had a dominant car all day, was was really cool, you know? Because, again, you love those underdog stories. Regan Smith's one of those guys you really love to cheer for. And, and by the way, he's doing a tremendous job as an analyst right now. I think he's great. Mm -hmm. But it's um, a really great moment for NASCAR. And um, it's just such a, again, a really, really difficult track to to compete at and, and, and succeed at. And to see someone like him in the 78 car win in a team based out of Colorado was was really cool to see. And I also want to throw in there, this isn't really a memory, but <laughs> at my peak of, of my NASCAR days of being obsessed, uh, this was the track where Dale Jr. used my favorite paint scheme of all time, speaking on paint schemes and throwback weekend. And I hope this gets used at some point way down the road. But 2009, he used this really, really badass looking Mountain Dew paint scheme. 
Um, it had a silver, it was silver on the side. It had like the Mountain Dew kind of like outline going toward on the side as well with like a lime green and a dark green. And then the, the top of the car to the rear was a black. It was really, really cool looking. And it was actually really cool because you got to see that car in person at the tire test in Phoenix in 2011, right? And that was the first year I met Dale, too. Yeah. Or the first time I met Dale, sorry. The first day, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was so cool. That was, and that was a great day. <laughs> so, yeah, my favorite Darlington memory, you probably knew what it was, was in 2012 when Jimmy Johnson won uh, Hendrick Motorsports, that Rick Hendrick's 200th career race. Yep. That was, it felt like a, ch a mini championship, honestly. And seeing... It just felt badass seeing that black cobalt car with the white racing stripes in victory lane in a milestone crown jewel win. Um, one of my favorite Jimmy Johnson crown jewel wins that I got to watch as a fan back at that point in time as like a 14 year old, 15 year old, whatever it was. Um, but that, yeah, that's easily my favorite Darlington memory. That was my other one I was thinking of that I was going to say, by the way. Good stuff, and, and we'll see what happens this week. We both picked Hendrick Motorsports drivers to, to win again at Darlington, and they've just been so fast at these mile and a half tracks this year. So with that, thank you all so much for tuning in. We would appreciate any feedback that you might have. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you're listening. We thank you so much. And even maybe more so than that, follow us on social media because these graphics we're putting out are really cool, uh, especially the throwback weekend one for nickel or dime at the underscore money stop, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Find us at whichever one of those is most convenient to you. And also, my personal account is at Stephen underscore Cusimano. You can find Cole's work at Cole underscore Cusimano underscore. Any good stories coming out this week for News from the Pits? Yes, so I actually spoke with uh, the track president at Darlington, Kerry Tharp, uh, when I was in Kansas. So I just, I, I, I had that one coming out probably tomorrow. Um, just kind of his thoughts on Throwback Weekend, what it's meant to him. And there's some fun twists in there too, like his favorite paint scheme uh, from, from the Throwback uh, festivities and Stuff like that. I've also got my What's Trending column coming out for uh, my, my weekly column, What's Trending. I just kind of highlight what's going on at the track, in the sport, at the time. So that's what I have got on tap right now. And then, of course, whatever happens after the race, I'll be talking to the drivers post-race. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I really hope it's a good race. So with that, we will leave you there. And thank you so much for tuning into the Money Stop. We will see you next week.